Hey, Partially Examined Lifers. What you're about to hear is episode seven of a new podcast. I thought this might be a good one to introduce you folks to it because it has to do with meritocracy with that Michael Sandel episode that we did at some point. I think this project is heaps of fun. I enjoy doing it. It is not my intention to inflict it upon you PEL listeners in this feed, except insofar as, as with the other network podcasts, we need to get a minimum number of downloads for advertising purposes. Since there are no ads on this yet, you have not heard any of this beyond the trailer, but I'm hoping that this sample episode will convince you to jump over to philosophyimprov.com or look up Philosophy versus Improv on Apple Podcasts, anywhere else, and catch up on this show in earnest. I mean, how often do you get to listen to a podcast from its inception? My goal here was to capture some of the fun of really, really early PEL episodes, but with a totally different approach and incorporate tutoring, and it was an excuse for me to learn improv comedy from a master. Again, that's philosophyimprov.com. Thanks. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Flintsmeyer, a philosophy nerd who's down to learn improv. I am Bill Arnett, a, an improv professional keen to pick up some philosophy. Each of us has come with a lesson in mind to convey to the other. We have two rules for this conversation. Number one, we're not going to say what that lesson is up front. And number two, we're not going to take turns. When the lesson seemed done, we'll tell you what we learned. Our judges will decide. Which lesson produced the most profound effect? Our judge today is JudgeBot5000. I bought a new, uh, found, got it on eBay. Money well spent. It is listening to us. It's already been installed in my home. I don't know if it shares the data anywhere, but it's definitely gathering a lot of data. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've told it that this is the official start time, so anything before here I should not be judged on. Yeah, yeah. Um, heads up, when you do dropship stuff from China, there's a very good chance that once you plug it into your computer, it will begin working right away without harvesting your data, just so, just so you know. That stuff is notoriously good at working right away and without harvesting your data. So I'm great with JudgeBot. I'm excited. I'm excited for it to work right away without harvesting any data. And I had this regular piece of bread sitting next to it, and it just became toast. I don't know if that's a bonus. I don't know. It's it's a could be some heat management issues. Um, it's an unadvertised feature. Yeah, uh, certainly with older generation lithium ion batteries, there were some heat management issues, but those have mostly been ironed out. I mean, at least I think it's toast. It is a strange color for toast. Uh, when does bread become toast, philosophy guy? Is it a color? Is it texture? Is it subjecting it to a toaster? So I think there's an essence of toast that is apart from the properties of toast. I think in the Catholic Church, don't they? They take the bread and they say. This is now toast. And you're like, it just seems like bread. And they're like, no, no, no. It's this is toast. And you just have to, you have to believe. Hey, I want to start this one because last time I started. Yeah. So I wanted to, to see what you think about meritocracy. Are you familiar with yes. that term? What, do you, what does that term mean to you? It means promotion or esteem via merit. And like so much <laughs> in our world, it depends on what we choose to merit, doesn't it? And what we choose to value. And I guess it probably says more about the things that we want to see in other people than it does necessarily those other people's opportunities to survive. Full disclosure, I am a college dropout. I was not happy about that, but I had made some choices in my life, got involved in the wrong path, and had to step away. 
as far as a meritocracy goes, I would probably lose. I would not be seen so well. The improv world and the artistic world in general can be very hard to judge merit-wise. And I would like to think I'm esteemed by my peers, but, you know, outside of that, I'm not sure what my parents' friends think about me, but uh, (laughs) in my little world, I've got some merit. I think the improv-tocracy, you you could make a very good case for being... I I draw uh, some water, uh, yeah. Isn't that some kind of ideal situation? I'm asking you, is that how people think of a meritocracy? Is like, well, that's perfect. Well, I guess that's the question. I mean, you've already said that there's the ambiguity in what constitutes merit. And this is exactly the point that I made in a, in a previous episode that just all evaluations of people seem context dependent. Absolutely. The people who invented this term meant we want to be ruled by the best because they had a real idea that there were best people. There were people of high quality and people of low quality. We do not want those low quality people to have any sort of ruling power. Keep out the riffraff. But of course, even now, we would probably like, I'd rather be ruled by people who understand ruling, who understand things about how the world works. Don't we want to have like smart people who have been trained appropriately to run particular agencies? Like, I don't know how to run the Department of Interior. I'd like someone running that who knows how to do that. Yeah, I think, boy, there's a lot of stuff in there, isn't there? But I think there are certainly people around in the world who resent authority kind of as a knee-jerk regard. I think everybody certainly can have a little bit of a anti-authoritarian bent. Certainly no one wants an authoritarian government. However, if you're sick or something and go to a doctor, you kind of want the best doctor. And at some point, we need to relinquish our pride, our whatever, and trust another human being. And, and I think, boy, we've talked about this before, the human animal, from a zoological standpoint, our distrust of others, our natural level of distrust from others can be leveraged by people with political motivations to their ends. And we're certainly seeing that a lot, that all human beings have a certain level of distrust. It can be tuned, turned up or turned down by charismatic leaders. And that kind of stinks. So, you know, back to this whole meritocracy thing, what good is a meritocracy? You've been in a machine that predicts the best leaders. We've got Martin Luther King, we've got Jesus, we've got the Buddha, and we've got Confucius. Great. No one trusts them. No one trusts those decisions they make. Well, well, then what good is it then? Yeah, so you pointed out this is kind of a fundamental part of philosophical method. If the definition of meritocracy is something like rule by the best, we've just said like, well, what the hell does best mean? That's different in different situations. Also, what does rule exactly mean? Like, does it really mean just because people like know how to run the government, do I want them having control over life and death? No, no. They're obviously different levels of rule. And I think you didn't even say rule. You said esteem, promotion, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of when we're talking economically, people who are in favor of the meritocracy aren't saying that those who are the smartest and hardest working and the most virtuous should have the power of life and death for the rest of us. They just feel like those are the ones who, whom society should reward. Sure. Who should get the plaudits, who should have the influence, who should have their voices heard. Yeah. Well, to flip that around, let's take the losers of the meritocracy. We are, we are able to come up with some kind of machine that fairly and accurately judges everyone's merit in a way that 90% of the population is like, oh, wow, that's really cool and elegant. I'll trust that. So we return on that machine. 
and it goes through and judges all America. We'll just keep it in America here, United States. Judges everyone by merit and then starts assigning positions or jobs. And for the most part, people are already in the jobs that they're good for. And I think that goes a long way for people saying, oh, well, that's good. This person should be an athlete. That person should be a doctor. Okay, this is doing pretty good. But then it gets to the bottom 10%, those without merit. What do we do with them? How do we handle the meritless people? Do they go to jail? At some point, the good jobs are going to run out. And there could be someone digging ditches who has more merit than a ditch digger. But there are definitely people with less merit. Does this make sense? Well, aren't they all lazy? Aren't they lazy good-for-nothings? Sure, they are. They are lazy good-for-nothings. There is a percentage of Americans who are lazy good-for-nothings. I will go to my grave believing that. Not many, very few, more than zero. And if we're going to have our meritocracy machine, it's going to spit out names. This person is lazy and good-for-nothing, you know? (laughs) You know, perhaps they could all be slotted into reality tv gary dantley lazy and good for nothing in fact let's find out what would happen as i come to you gary dantley hey gary um thanks for coming into the office here we've you know here in 2040 i'm sure you're familiar with the uh, machine here that goes through merit and whatnot and gary we ran your scores they were not fantastic or not fantastic but i i i tried I mean, what, what was I supposed to do? Well, yeah, that's just it. You did try. I mean, the, the machine is perfect. It both analyzes your subconscious and conscious mind. It goes over your history, your details. There's a slight DNA component to this. And your merit, we have some career paths for you. And I just want to kind of go over these and see how you feel about some of these career paths. All right. I mean, I, I've been training. I've been taking these... Uh online uh doing this online improv group stuff i thought that you can stop okay that's i mean you can stop that training course you can keep talking oh okay i just thought that was uh giving me skills that i could use in the workforce because it would teach me to think you know on 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 my feet um on on the yeah there and that i could uh uh, you know, react, know, know what to say. Sure. I, I, um, well, you, you tell me, what is the, what is the... Yeah, I don't think any of that's going to help in any of these vocations. And let me just say, you can't appeal. If you'd like to be retested, you can't appeal. But there is a six-month waiting, waiting period as well. The first job we have, when the dump truck gets filled at the asphalt plant, it will be your job to slap the tailgate and give a thumbs up to the driver. That's job number one. I could, I could do that. I mean, I, that doesn't sound like it would take a lot of time. We know you could do it. That's why it's on the list. What, what are the hours? Well, um, the asphalt plant, depending upon the construction schedule, could be, they could be running up, they could be up 24 uh, 7. There could be some graveyard shifts in there, uh, never more than eight hours a day. Is that something that might be automated? I mean, is it a secure job? You know, one would think. But um, I think the driver is just like that human touch of hearing that slap and seeing that thumbs up in the rear view. They certainly can't hear you because of the noise. Okay, okay. Customer service. Sure. Let's call it that. We'll call it customer service. Job number two is to go to the fish sanctuary, fish breeding sanctuary. And as tours are being given, you will be brought in as a fake tour member to say ooh and ah and yuck at all the appropriate times. That sounds like my improv training would really be good for that. 
Well, there, there's there's a very tight script. Oh. And you'll just you'll need to say ooh, ah, and yuck at all the right times. But I get to kind of decide how the oohs and ahs. I mean, there's oohs and there's ooh, ah, ooh. Even if it's in a script, there's a lot of room for artistic license. Yeah, sure, Gary. Sure, sure. Yeah, let's let's presume that'll be the case. So entertainer. Uh, entertainer, sure. Customer service or entertainer. I don't know if a customer service, that doesn't sound quite right. Um, day brightener. Hey, however, you, cheer, cheer squad. However you want to label it. However, okay. however you want to label it. Uh, the third job deemed deserving of your merit is it's not ditch digger. Apparently the people we have assigned to ditch digging duties sometimes dig the ditches too deep. And we need someone to follow behind and partially refill some of the ditches. So something about teaching people about the futility of life, a teacher. So you're wanting me to be a teacher. Gare, you can put any label on you want. Here's what you need to know. You're going to be out in the sun with a shovel, partially refilling ditches. That, that's, that's going to be the meat and potatoes of that job. I got to think that there's a reason that we are all put on this earth. And I didn't really know what it was before, but... It's very good now that we have something to tell us where we belong. And I guess my only question is, when can I start? Wow. You know, let me just say, Gary, you've really made peace with this quickly. I, I'm usually, uh, this is usually a shouting match that takes the, uh, over several tens of minutes of shouting. But if you're keen with any of these three jobs, we can get you in the field next week. I figure... If I work hard at these jobs, I'm gonna, they're going to recognize my hardworkingness and uh, my talents, and they're going to, you know, maybe one day I could be just given the thumbs up. Next day, two thumbs up. One day, tap in the back of the truck, filling in the ditches. Next day, filling in the back of the truck and tapping the ditches. The world is my oyster, I think. I'm not sure... I. You know, I, <laughs> I tell you what, I, I have another job in mind for you. B- being the person I have to give crappy career advice to, that's, you have been a dream, Gary. You have been an absolute dream. And uh, I just got to say that. And, and, and hopefully with this attitude, maybe we can recalibrate the machine to take this amazing willingness into account. Because you, this is, I think you've got more merit. I think you've got more merit than the machine uh, detected. Uh, this, is, this is fantastic. Which of those three can we start you off with? What do you think? I'm just a little confused, though. Are you saying the machine is wrong? Well, it's... If you're saying I have more merit than the machine detected, now I'm not so sure about any of these things. Well, what I was saying is... Now you've broken my faith in the system. Well, well, I'll slow down. What I'm saying is that willingness is not, perhaps not weighted high enough in in the machine's algorithm. Isn't willingness determined by... The quality of soul, isn't that what's being measured? I, I thought that the machine was able to reach, so, you know, saying soul and whatnot, that kind of gets us in violation of the, the First Amendment a little bit. So we got to be careful talking about souls or anything. This is merit. It is not I, faith. I guess I thought that what was being measured was the weight of sin on my soul and that you're saying that I had a lot of sin, which I was willing to accept and repent for by doing these crappy things that you were just describing and trying to make the best of them. Okay, you know, but I, if you're I'm, saying that actually it doesn't even measure that, then I'm not sure that I'm down with this system. And maybe that 
computer should just do those jobs by itself because I think that it could. And then you should just let me do my improv and pay me a guaranteed minimum income to do that because that'd be fine. And you can just have your whole system and just take it and go fly and do some stuff with it. This is becoming exactly what this meeting usually is. This is what I expected from the word go. I'll tell you what, you seemed really excited about that dump truck thing. Let's get you, let's get you signed up for that. I do like dump trucks. Great. We'll go ahead and get the email out to you. And scene. Wait did it, Mark. Thank you. Boy, we that kept, was, you had a lot of good uh, ideas going there. It was one idea, and then we just were filling in all those blanks. And you did a good job as well, imagining what all those careers would be like. Well, yeah, I'm trying to take your words of reacting to heart, and I was trying to make the character not an idiot this time, <laughs> even though that seemed like it was invited. After a certain point, if I wasn't just going to yes to everything, then I had to start playing off the concepts themselves a little bit. And so that is the thing that I'm comfortable doing. That is what philosophy does all the time, (laughs) that you're trying to figure out if somebody claims that people are being judged by merit. Well, what does that actually mean? What are some ways that merit has been taken before? And of course, the idea of the stain of sin being an actual measurable thing. So you could put really sinful people on a scale and somehow extract, let's say you get some identical twins, you keep them on the same diet, you have one of them murder a bunch of children, the other one not, you should be able to put them on a scale. This is at least the kind of experiments that I imagine middle ages scientists might perform. A couple things there. Yes does not necessarily equal happy. And you can agree that the situation is happening and be horribly furious about the fact that you are being put through it. And that would still count in the improv world, in my opinion, as a yes. The other thing I wanted to point out is that we kept that ball in the air for a long time, did we not? I didn't time that thing, but it didn't feel forced or long, though, did it? No, and I've kind of resigned myself. I think one of these episodes is going to start, and a scene is going to start, and it's not going to end for half an hour. It's going to happen sometime, so we're inching. That would be a a noble thing to happen. And I think this kind of goes to, as long as people's behavior is consistent, we can get this thing going. And I think sometimes improvisers, as the scene goes along, they get nervous that it's not happening or they made the wrong character choice. And they start making choices that, and there's all kinds of language out there around this, but they start making character choices that start changing who they are too much of a, at a fundamental level. Certainly all of us have moods. Sometimes we're happy, but it doesn't change who we are. And when people start making character choices as the scene goes along that they think might be fun or funny, what they end up doing is undermining the continuity of their character. And I don't know if you've ever met anyone in the real world who is unpredictable. We usually call those people insane. We usually call those people, the people I have met, lovely people who, for whatever reason, if they, we may have even talked about this before in the past in some other past episode. But there are people in our lives who require some form of therapy or medication to keep themselves, quote unquote, sane and functioning in our world. What does that mean? What does functioning mean? In an improv sense, it means predictable. It means you do all the things that the the rest of us do at a predictable pace. It is the people who I have known who, for whatever reason, become unpredictable that we find unsettling. And it's a bad feeling for people to have. And if the audience is subtly seeing little clues in the scene or hearing little things that feel unpredictable, not in a fun surprise way, but in a, (laughs) oh, oh, oh boy, 
it can turn them off. They can start losing interest in it. They're confused by what they're seeing. I don't think that happened in here. You're, okay, so the, the, the <laughs> turn that the character that I was playing took was not of that sort. We saw it evolve slowly. Could it have evolved more slowly? Perhaps. But we saw it evolve. It was presented to us. That change was presented to us. We did not know that you had a religious bent to you. It was revealed you had a religious bent. And in me pushing on it, you began to see things differently. And we saw that journey, and we enjoyed that journey. People don't just wake up in the morning and decide that they're religious or decide that they're vegetarian. It's usually a big deal. And they will tell you about their journey if they discover these things later in life. (laughs) So it's okay to change, but we need to see the journey. Yes, you had asked in one of our past discussions about this line between character traits and insanity. And that is getting at why maybe calling something a meritocracy doesn't make a lot of sense. Merit, that seems to connote people getting what they deserve. Sure. It's some sort of moral status. And the modern take on morality is that you should only be punished by bad choices you make. You might want to punish people who are, punish your dog. Maybe your dog doesn't make any choices, but you want to, as an instrumental thing, like if I yell at the dog, you know, is that going to help? You know, it just becomes like a question of, an engineering question, you know, just like if I build the building this way as opposed to this way, is it going to stay up better? Like, yeah. what is the best way to have this dog be social and healthy and happy and all that stuff? But for people, we expect that this whole idea of you work hard, yeah, that is the thing that people who believe in the meritocracy believe in most. That if you work hard, that makes up for so much. Your attitude, as you were just saying in the scene. So yes, people have different levels of talent, but most of the stuff that we were talking about are a matter of training. And training is largely a matter of applying yourself. And maybe some people are officially developmentally, you know, they're just not going to pick up whatever the skill is, but there's probably something else they could pick up as long as they can put that effort somewhere else. Yeah. So what do you think of that just as a layman's meritocracy? Like, well, people should be rewarded for their hard work. I think that's probably the best way to do it. If you look at where meritocracies work, sports, generally the best team wins. You know, generally the fastest runner comes in first. Generally, I don't think anyone, while there certainly are some like, oh, there's some underappreciated teams, there's some underappreciated players, generally the best team wins to a large enough degree that we accept it, that we generally accept the results of, of sporting events. I think once you start talking about the world and like running a something far more complicated, I mean, sports, there's a rule book for sports mm-hmm. and it's voted on and everyone agrees that these are the rules for this sport. When you're not on the field, you're going to do whatever you want when the game's not being played. But during the game, you're going to start here. You're going to run to there. When I say go, that's it. Once you start adding, making the rule book bigger, like the life rule book, suddenly <laughs> judging merit in that game, the game of life gets far more challenging and who's winning and who's losing. The difference between a 100-meter dash and life in modern-day America. I got one for you here. Let's say, talking about action and whatnot, and action means things. Let's say you could look inside my brain. Let's, let's say this. I am a regular old guy. I'm an engineer for a company that builds electrical fixtures. And I go to work, and I do my job, and I've got a wife. I've got two kids, and we go to church, and we donate 10% of our money to the good of the community. However, however you want to judge that. All right. So that's that. And, uh, B plus. I yeah. I, don't, I follow all the rules and don't get in trouble and try to raise my kids right. 
However, you can look inside my brain, and inside my brain you see the most racist, the most fascist, the most cruel, murderous, horrible person, the most terrible thoughts imaginable that never make it into action. Does that affect anything? Do I lose points? For having B minus. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I lost two, two steps. Still the, above, <laughs> above average. The whole notion of thought police. Is that a thing? That goes right to agency. Cause it seems like you can't really control your thoughts. Like you can control them in the same way you can any other habits. But as I've said on here before, if you think you can just rewrite the operating system of your brain, I'm going to think lovely thoughts. I'm going to think like there's a limited amount that we can do with that. And in fact, isn't the ability to control whether those thoughts go into action, isn't that itself an ability that is, again, maybe you could strengthen it, but probably is sort of ingrained how hard you try, how hard you're able to try on a consistent basis. Anybody can try really hard just right now. Try really hard, but like day after day. That's a character trait. Well, this hypothetical person nails that. They can squash the most disgusting, vile impulses in their brain. Will that affect them on the merit scale? Or will it give them more merit because they can squash their vile impulses? Mm. The whole reason that people have this scale is not really about your intrinsic merit. It's about how useful you are to other people. And it's only if you have a picture of that there is a God or someone that can see right into your head and see those evil thoughts that then you get counted down for having those evil thoughts. If we don't have anything like that, if you don't have a a picture of a God or whatever, then no, you don't lose points for that one bit. It's entirely how useful you are to other people, which is a kind of a sad way why we feel bad for this fellow in the scene who has been rated low in the meritocracies. Could we say that thanks to social medias and thanks to the ridiculous trail, both in length and in breadth of, we can actually see people's inner thoughts. We can actually go on someone's Twitter page and start putting two and two together and say, oh, maybe this guy's a closet fascist homophobe murderer. I would say that there are probably people who believe they can do that (laughs) And you can read between the lines and tell and suss out who the closet terrible people are. The issue with the image of a closet is a closet is still a space where things are happening. Sure. And so if you do have a system where you're in the closet, but you have your phone (laughs) and you're tweeting from inside the closet. Okay. Well, then the fact that you're doing it in the closet, you turned on the camera that's on the phone in the closet. You're still in the closet, but you still, everybody, it it just breaks down. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. You know, it's that whole, is thinking about murder as bad as murder? Definitely not. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. Of course. I think about it a lot. And maybe it makes its way into Mm. my writings or my improv. I mean, this is the question. I mean, gee whiz. People could certainly say that if you were just a simple person, unbeset by such dark thoughts, You're innocent, you're harmless, a solid B. But if you're a person of greatness, who has great urges, great powers of passion, and yet you manage to channel those into 
something that people enjoy rather than into murdering people, then uh, yeah, you got more to work with. So you got more to gain, more to lose. Fair enough. You mentioned channeling passions. It made me think about the whole idea of sublimation and how artists are said to mm-hmm. sublime bad or negative impulses into their work. Whether, I mean, I don't know anyone's done a test on that to see if it's true, but it certainly sounds reasonable to a degree. In this meritocracy, I guess we'd have also have to define what art is and <laughs> to how many people does art need to be art for it to be art? I enjoy abstract expressionist paintings, but I understand that many people don't. You know, what percent of the population needs to see a, a Mark Rothko field of red and say that is art for it to be art and for Mr. Rothko to be of merit, if that makes sense. Well, we all know how the economists answer all this is how much do you actually steam it? How much of your money are you willing to put behind it? How much of your time? How much of your effort? You're even giving it your attention. That's something because then somebody can put a big ad on top of that Rothko and they can make money that way. There we go. That's okay. Eyeballs count. There is an opportunity cost to going to the art museum. And there should be, you know, that Jesus parable about the rich people gave him a bunch of money. And then this poor woman came and I only have 10 shekels, but you may have all of the shekels. And he said, her gift is way better than yours because it hurt for her. And so economics should have a way of measuring that sacrifice based on means. I don't know enough about economics to know if it does. Boy, I like that hurt thing. There's another topic we can have some other time, this idea of vulnerability and how vulnerability plays and how anger in an improv scene does not play as well as frustration. Mm. Because I think frustration demonstrates a vulnerability, a willingness to lose or a demonstration of that losing has a cost. And my frustration demonstrates that I don't want to lose because I understand loss would be painful. Whereas anger is a, it's an animal emotion. It is a very base emotion that belies no truth inside. Perhaps for another time. <laughs> was, that a the, what was that a ding? Uh, the, the, that? the computer has uh, gone off, has spit out a little piece of paper here. I, I'm handing it to you. Okay. I guess before we read this, maybe we should try to recap. Sure. What do you think the philosophy lesson was this time? I, it was pr- fairly obvious, but... Certainly this dive into defining merit and what that means, and that it's not easy and it's not simple and it's messy, and that while perhaps it seems ideal in a philosophical sense, the real world reality of merit is messy. And so much, my, one of my biggest dings on philosophy is that it's easy to philosophize. It's hard to implement, hard to realize. And I didn't mean that as a ding. I just meant that as like a, as, <laughs> as an insult, but just, you so know. So that is, first of all, absolutely true. Thank um, you. Second. Thank you. Probably what I have in mind by philosophy is more involved, but we've been doing it here. We had, yes. we really got into, I've been starting to think that I should make more of these lessons less about me telling you about some concept, which, you know, if I was just going to tell you what the meritocracy, like you already have an idea what the meritocracy is, but about a method of how you break down problems into other problems. Sure. And so just that initial, well, what's the definition of meritocracy? Rule by the best. Well, let's take the best and decide why that's completely problematic. Let's take a rule and decide why that, how that <laughs> needs to be seriously qualified. And just kind of, you could draw a little diagram that's analytic philosophy as we were taking each part, even though I was sort of dissing the idea of definitions before, 
They are very useful as a thing to open up the aspects of things. So you had brought up critical race theory at the end of last time. Having a good discussion like this about meritocracy, I think, is essential before you even talk about something like critical race theory, because the whole reason people are foisting critical race theory out there is because they disagree about the meritocracy. Sure. Because they feel like, no, 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 people of color have never gotten a fair shake. We need to tweak the meritocracy or, oh, no, the meritocracy is basically good. And if there are uh, systematic racial disparities, that's because, you know, there's something wrong with their culture and that, you know, it's exactly about this. But we got to have that whole discussion without bringing in the word race even once. Well, you just did. You just did. Well, that's because we're, we're... Yeah. And when I ding philosophy, I just mean armchair, sitting around with your friends, half drunk philosophy. You know, college stoner philosophy. We are half drunk on adrenaline, engaged in this podcasting activity. You, you see it on social media where someone comes to a conclusion through a brief philosophical expository list and clearly this philosophical conclusion is the best and it's like that's great that's great you go ahead and start you go ahead and write that with legislation i would love i'd love to see that because that's where the rubber meets the road you certainly can come to a conclusion philosophically but let's not brand it as the way forward clearly the way forward and the only way forward until we actually get that thing on the road and drive it and I guess that's my, my ding. Please philosophize out there. If you're listening, please write missives online and, and philosophize things, but don't get so married to your conclusions that they'll be the solution to all of man's problems. Yes, I think philosophy and improv are both known in the popular idiom for poor examples of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, you, what was I going for? I've come to peace a little bit with the idea and realizing this difference between a lot of the the philosophy that I've been telling you is more me trying to get us to uncover some concepts. Ultimately, you know, I want to be getting you to internalize some skills. Sure. Whereas I think the improv is sort of the other way around that you've been very successful in coaching me through here and to getting me to, uh, if I can't name what the lesson was, it's because something come up and I was just like, Oh yeah, yeah, of course I should fill in details. Of course I should fit like, so it's hard for me to even identify that that was the lesson. You actually said it just now. You said it just now. So it was details again? It was what? details. It was details. Have we already done details? We, have, we, we have, did details, but you could always have more details. I thought that this time I would try really, really hard to both provide details and extract details and not just talk about them in a general sense, but try to get some rubber on the road. If we're going on longer, I need to, we need to have we need a master list, a shared doc where we can put, put our things on it. Now I feel terrible. Now I feel bad for, for doubling up. You know, I feel like this might be okay in the long term because probably based on the width of your book, we're going to run out. Of, if, if we really had to have like Ouch. a chapter title <laughs> and only do it once, one episode is one chapter then you know we'd have a, less than a dozen chapters and we'd be done with the podcast. But if we see these as ongoing skills that require continuing acuity... It is a dense <laughs> book. What it, what it lacks in page numbers, it makes up for in... I mean, good luck getting through a page without breaking out your journal and spending the next week journaling per page. I just needed to defend myself. Every single person that read a single page of this went on started their own improv troupe. That is a fact. It's, you're the Velvet Underground. Read the next page, fired everyone in that troop, and started another troop. Ad infinitum. All right. So now, 
all that has been explained. What does the piece of paper say, Bill? The piece of paper says that philosophy won, that it was able to influence the improv scene and then influence the remainder of the conversation for the majority of the podcast. All right. Now, I do think that perhaps, I'm not sure how the judge wrote itself into the scene, Mm -hmm. but that did happen. You noticed that. Oh, yes. That was the premise of our merit-determining machine. So I'm a little suspicious about this, but, uh, you know, I paid for it. My toast is... See, now, I, I just don't think toast is supposed to be that color. That's a philosophical argument, I guess. I mean, is it possible to have a piece of bread that is colored to be toast, yet still bread? I think there... Okay, first of all, there is definitely a piece of bread... That is toastier than the toaster that could toast the most bread. Uh, there's a piece of toast that is toastier than that toaster could toast. I, that's that I know, but uh, I, I have to think about how to apply that chestnut that everybody knows <laughs> to this new situation. You got so it. let's let's set that aside. I really enjoyed learning from you today, Bill, and I super enjoyed learning from you today, Mark. And podcast. Now, where on earth is that post-game where Bill and Mark, that's me, continue talking about how we think the episode just went and what topics might have grown out of that and give some recommendations in the comedy and or philosophy worlds to you, the listeners, and to each other? Why, that special post-game segment will heretoforward only be part of the supporter versions of these episodes, which you can get through the special supporter feed, which you can learn about through, guess what? philosophyimprov.com slash support. This is a very new project. We don't have ads in these episodes yet. We don't want to have ads in the episodes at all. And when we do have these episodes, you're not going to want to hear them. You're not going to want to hear the pain, the anguish in my voice as I try to get you to buy Fruit of the Month Club or Fruit of the Loom Club or whatever the hell people will give us money whom we had to turn to like turning to a loan shark because you would not come forward even though you enjoyed the show. I know you enjoyed the show. So I know on the internet, everything is supposed to be free, but for things to get made, somebody has to care enough to enable the creators to make time in their day to make it. So I'm asking you again to go to philosophyimprov.com slash support and give a tangible sign of your love like a person I do not know personally, Charles, who as soon as this chance to support this project went out via social media, jumped on, became the pioneer. Thank you, Charles. And thank you, future supporters. And of course, if you can't support, I love you anyway. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. Bankrupt.